Hi, this is Nalaja Sun, an actor, playwright, and teaching artist who has worked with Melissa Friedman and the Epic Theater Ensemble since 2001. You are at the point of learning with Peter Horn. Not a bad move for a kid your age. On today's show, Epic Theater Ensemble, which has kept young people at the heart of what they do for nearly 20 years. It's a dialogue and a relationship between our mentor artists, our teaching artists, and our students. And when we work with those students in our partner schools, whether it's in school, after school, or during the summer in our youth company, we want to really help those students develop their voice and ask them to look past their personal sphere into the public realm. EPIC takes seriously its mission to create bold work with and for diverse communities that promotes vital discourse and social change. We don't have expectations that students are going to be theater, professional theater makers necessarily. We want them to be leaders, whether it's in the arts or, or otherwise, and, and, and caring citizens that, that engage in social justice. Plus, a few student voices. For me, I think school is more than just about education. I think it's the first step in teaching people how to connect with each other beyond culture, beyond class, beyond race. In a moment when news headlines are literally incredible, and the inclination of different groups of people to listen to each other with anything approaching respect feels like we're at rock bottom, I draw courage and hope from groups like Epic Theater Ensemble and people like Melissa Friedman, whom I'm talking with on today's show. Melissa is one of the founders of Epic Theater Ensemble, which opened for business in the city of New York on September 11, 2001. Epic was the first arts program working in New York's public schools in the days following, serving kids directly affected by 9-11. In the decades since, Epic has been honored with numerous awards and distinctions for its life-changing work, including from the Obama White House in 2009. Most impressive to me, though, is that EPIC has kept students and students' own ideas, stories, and questions at the center of its work for all that time. I'm EPIC because I like to use theater to start a conversation. I'm EPIC because I use theater to help tell my story. I am EPIC because I believe in dreams. I am EPIC because I create and collaborate. I first met Melissa and her colleagues at EPIC Theater 15 years ago during the winter of 2004. I was working Project 79, the alternative education program at Westfield High School in New Jersey, that was the subject of last February's show, episode 10. At that time, Project 79 was looking for an intensive interdisciplinary arts experience that would allow our students to showcase their ideas about the world in new ways. 
Epic reached out to us because one of its founders knew about Project 79, having graduated from Westfield High School in the late 1980s. That co-founder was Melissa Friedman. Epic Theater and Project 79 collaborated for three years on three productions that had our kids writing original scenes and monologues, questioning and debating ideas, and proudly performing their work before wildly appreciative and sometimes even stunned audiences. I know firsthand how Epic can challenge kids to think deeply about and then act upon their identity as citizens, not mere consumers, which is in my view, one of the most important things we can do with and for young people. We'll get into some of what Epic is up to these days in just a moment, but first, let's meet Melissa Friedman, who is as riveting on stage as an actor as she is in the classroom as a teaching artist. Melissa has co-starred in off-Broadway productions with the likes of David Strathairn, Asif Manvi, and Kathleen Chalfant as well as performing in numerous shows outside New York, from Pennsylvania and Tennessee to California. A graduate of Oberlin College and the Old Globe University of San Diego, Melissa has studied with such theater luminaries as Cicely Berry and Richard Sear. Melissa also credits her recent involvement with the improv program Upright Citizens Brigade as informing the work she does training not only high school students, but other teaching artists, as well as New York City teachers of history, theater, and English language arts. This is a show that, among other things, seeks to honor the vocation of teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I like to ask guests, whatever it is that the guests do, Mm -hmm. I like to ask them about a teacher who had a strong impact Mm. on you. So many. I mean, my mother was a teacher. So I grew up watching, observing her painstakingly prepare and really focus on the detail of her lesson and then agonize over a choice she made in class, you know, from the day. So I felt like I grew up around teaching. So certainly my mother, I would say Paula was a huge, Paula Roy, Paula Roy was a huge impact on me in, in high school. Star of episode three. Star of episode three. The way in which she taught us literature was really meaningful to me, uh, and her her departure from more traditional approach that I had received throughout my schooling, and her questioning some basic things like pronouns. You know, she was the first teacher to give me a book that she thought I would love, which was uh, which was Beloved by Toni Morrison, mm-hmm. the year it came out, and. It rocked my world, wow. so and it was meaningful to me. She also talked about feminism openly in class in the 1980s, uh, so it was really exciting. Uh, and then I've had a lot of wonderful mentors and teachers along the way, including my, the head of my acting program, Rick Sear, who w- was very much uh, a very kind, generous, mm-hmm. thoughtful teacher who brought a lot of love and passion for the mm-hmm. work in the room. And then my mentor, Richard Easton, was was really impactful. He had no real uh, teaching experience when he walked into the classroom. So it was all about his artistry and sharing his artistry. So Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, there is a part of me that feels like I'm... And then Cicely Berry, of course. So these these teachers, I I feel like I have a little bit of each of them in me, Mm -hmm. including my mom, of course. But uh, Cis Berry... 
her approach of uh, really kind of a radical approach to to theater, uh, to Rick's generosity and, and caring in the room, to the way in which Richard Easton brought his own artistry first and foremost into the room. Mm-hmm. And I kind of took a lot of those pieces and they in, impacted me mm-hmm. as an artist. But there isn't one teacher that I am emulating because I think the nature of authenticity is that you have to be yourself. Yeah. You have yeah. to be true to yourself and you have to draw all of your experiences in the mm-hmm. room and you have to be present and you have mm-hmm. to speak truth. It's hard to face this harsh reality The families, they devastate You have to make a change Or it will seal our That song for Romeo and Juliet was written by Epic student Shamia Thompson. Shamia performed it with another young citizen of Epic, Kadeen. I wanted to ask Melissa about her choice in the past few years to train with the improv group Upright Citizens Brigade, or UCB. It's an unconventional move for a performer with her years of experience. I decided to go back into training at, at UCB, at Upright Citizens Brigade, to train in, in improvisation, in long-form improv. It was something that in my early years as a, as a high school student, a college student, I kind of had written off myself as someone who could improv, and I really, I, I chose to follow the path of text work and the Wait, classics. Sorry, you you in, believed that you weren't any good no, at it? No, no. Okay, that's what you're I, I, I froze. I, I talked okay. about freezing in improv a lot. I, I didn't do any improv in high school or college. I didn't really think of myself as funny. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I knew I could play a comedic role in a play, uh-huh. but uh, I was, I was just really scared of it and I one of the first jobs I got in New York City was with the Irondale Ensemble and I was told after being accepted into their ensemble as a a year-long gig that part of what we would do would be performing the Herald in front of live audiences which is a long-form improv that they teach at UCB and other places so I was like huh what now um so I was thrown into it and terrified, and I found I really loved it. And this was nearly 20 years ago now. Um, it was like 1999 and the year 2000. And so I, I started to find myself interested in that, and also then began teaching it to young people, and decided just a few years ago, maybe four years ago, that I wanted to train at UCB, and then I've been taking classes there. And I'm in their academy, which is um, their next level training. I've gone through the core training, but you know, I auditioned to get into the academy. Are you humble bragging right now? Yeah, I'm humble bragging. I'm in their academy. So it's cool. But being a student when you've been teaching a long time is challenging and exciting and humbling. There are so many times when I'm in class where I have to bite my tongue. Yeah. I'm not going to lead this. I'm going to follow, you know? But and, and, but picking an area that you were scared, yeah, you know, to go in that you had been and said like, you know what, this this fear, this is the thing that I want to focus on. Yes, I was scared I before see. every single yeah. class. Yeah. I was I was scared yeah. to sign up. I was uh-huh. scared before every class from one hundred one to two hundred one, three hundred one, four hundred one. Every time, every time I did a show at UCB, I was scared before I performed. And I think it's a good reminder that every time I tell students to come and stand up, they're probably scared. Uh-huh. Every time I ask them to perform Shakespeare or their new writing or their whatever it is, they're scared. So I need to 
create an environment that lays the groundwork for them to be brave. We talk about safe space, but I think it's interesting that you know the first thing you want to do is create safe space, but then you want to create brave space where students can like step forward and mm -hmm. they can take risks. But you can't really jump into brave space right away. Uh, you know, you can ask them to be brave right away, but brave space is something that comes after safe space. Now that we've met one of the co-founders, let's move to Epic itself and its important work. Epic Theatre Ensemble is dedicated to fostering dialogue about current civic, social, and ethical issues. As a sign of this commitment to dialogue, by the way, every performance they give, a student performance, professional performance, or students performing alongside professionals, everyone is followed by a talk back with the audience. Epic is an off-Broadway theater company that premieres professional productions and at the same time, it's an arts education company with an array of award-winning programs for students in school, after school, and during the summer. It's a collaborative of teaching artists and students who believe that participation in theater is essential to a healthy democracy and that this kind of engaging theater experience should be a hallmark of U.S. education for all students. I mean, I think the thing about Epic is it's, it's a dialogue and a relationship between our mentor artists, our teaching artists, and our students. The work that we make as professional artists is really, we consider the student audiences first and foremost, but they also, those very same artists, are going in and working in the classroom and after school in our youth company. And when we work with those students in our partner schools, whether it's in school, after school, or during the summer in our youth company, we want to really help those students develop their voice and ask them to look past their personal sphere into the public uh, realm. And so what that looks like is when we first meet our students in our public schools is we ask them to look at a play like Antigone yes. and they see our professional artists perform it first uh, and then they engage with the play and they uh, question the connection between Antigone and today. They look at, in some cases, they look at news articles in the, in the project I most recently, I'm actually working on right now uh, with some ninth graders, uh, the entire ninth grade class at, at, at our partner school in Harlem. And they, each class chose a different current event that they connected. One of the classes chose uh, the woman who climbed the Statue of Liberty on the 4th of July yeah, yeah, yeah. in protest for the separation of families. And she was acquitted, was she? She was, but yeah. in their version, it was a little bit oh, more God. dramatic. God. So they took God. some okay, 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 creative gotcha. liberties. And then another one took yeah. uh, yeah. the story of the woman in, in Baton Rouge who was protesting the shooting of Alton Sterling. Yeah. Uh, and. Aisha Evans is her name, and she, that wonderful viral picture, the picture that went viral, I should say, of, that, of, of her standing in that sundress against the police. And uh, one, one class is taking inspiration from her and taking some creative liberties on that. And uh, they, each class has its own vision of who is Antigone today. So when they write, as a class, they divide up the responsibility, two of them per scene and in a 10 scene, say, uh, storyboard, and they each write a different part of the story that places Antigone in the world we see today. Mm -hmm. So they, they engage with contemporary and social questions, but they need to think about these characters in an empathetic way and in a, in a way that includes context 
but also references this classic story from 2,400 years ago. So that's one example. Another example in our youth company about youth voice is the students have been, the last few years, commissioned by outside organizations like Appleseed, NYC, uh, and Teachers College and other organizations and institutions to write plays about educational politics. So what's the matter? They're rezoning our school and some of the white neighborhoods near here are going to be included in our school zone. Hmm. And kids aren't happy about this? Well, Abdul thinks it would be a good idea to have white kids in our school. That's the only way our black school can get better funding. Lawrence, on the other hand, thinks that we shouldn't need any white kids if that's the only way our black school can get funding. Hmm. And you? Well, I don't know. I don't care. I just want my friends to be okay. And they tour all over to conferences and city halls and town halls and uh, they perform for teachers and parents about uh, this issue that they care about. We need our schools to be diverse as young people. We're going to grow up in a society that's diverse and we need to learn how to understand each other, not judge each other. I think the worst part about segregation is that people start to feel like there's something wrong with them. The worst part about segregation is that young people start to feel like they're bad, they're stupid, they're troublemakers, they're not worth it. That's the worst part. So they perform these plays, um, but they have to find their way in, and they've written these extraordinary pieces that use research and their own voices. There are three R's we need to address. One, racial involvement. How do you choose my school and how do I make sure I select fairly? Two, resources. How do you make sure that every single school has the same resources? Three, the last piece is relationships. Once we're all in the school building, if y'all haven't met each other yet and there's racism in the building, we will not talk to each other and learn how to work together. How do you fund teachers to help build clubs that establish relationships across racial lines? And integrated together uh, into a really compelling piece that integrates comedy mm -hmm. in as well. So it's very funny, but also very moving. And they, they use the comedic game really effectively in each of their pieces. 9-11, never forget. The Holocaust, never forget. The Titanic, <laughs> never forget. But slavery though, forget about it. It's in the past, is it really? And those pieces will perf be performed all over and they lead the post-show discussion. They facilitate those discussions with adults. So after every other show, we like to have a talk back discussion with our audience members. And so a question we like to ask here at Epic is, two weeks from now, you're sitting in bed thinking about Laundry City. What's the one thing you'll remember the most? They are the leaders of, of, of this experience. That's really important for us in terms of leadership development for them to create work to develop their own voices, then to facilitate discussion, and not to be handing it back over to adults, mm -hmm. ultimately. The example I've been cutting in to illustrate Epic's process is one of the plays that the youth company has written about segregated schools in New York called Laundry City. The title is based on the stark metaphor of keeping white and colored clothes separate. Before they wrote this play, Epic students conducted interviews with 30 people from education officials to parents to fellow students in order to develop the characters whose perspectives they ultimately embodied on stage. I'll share full credits on how to find the whole video at the end of the show, but to demonstrate some of the reflection these teen citizens have been doing, 
Here's a snippet of epic youth actor Nakia Smalls during the post-show discussion. I came out thinking about how it's not only that, like, it's not like a, a line division between whites and black and Latinos, but it's also about like a governmental um, um, line and also like a, a social line. And there's just so many different aspects, residential lines, so many different complexities to this one issue and it's never gonna have a complete answer. And it's also about awareness and bringing it out and then showing it to people like you. And like you guys will also talk about how you've seen this and then it's just like a cycle and it just creates awareness. And I think that's where it is. We it's about having discussions with everyone and others and, um, addressing those hard topics that make people uncomfortable and stir in their seat or also that like you know make people agree like why do you agree but also for the people who oppose why do you oppose it's having those conversations about those things one of the organizations that commissioned laundry city was new york appleseed which advocates for integrated schools and communities Here's what New York Appleseed Executive Director David Tipson had to say about the work of EPIC students. The EPIC plays are absolutely the best tool we have for introducing the difficult topics of school segregation and integration in the communities of New York City. And these plays are really the most sophisticated treatment of the complexity of the issues and the different feelings around them that you'll ever find. Time's up, time's up. Time's up, time's up, time's up. Back to Melissa Friedman. Do you have the sense sometimes, or have kids said sometimes, or have their teachers said sometimes, that this work allows them to get at, maybe distill, some thoughts, ideas about matters of justice or injustice yes. that you know, hadn't come up in another way. Not even, maybe maybe not even just at school, but that they had not, you know, yeah. kind of considered or explored. Well, absolutely. I think that sometimes there's one or two students in a class who has a lot of knowledge about a particular issue, whether it's police violence or uh, immigration, and they bring that knowledge to the class, and then suddenly the class is doing more research about that, mm -hmm. and they're writing about that, and they get engaged and involved. and. Uh, in our 10th grade human rights theater project, that's pretty much universally something where they, they each, I bring in usually about 35 different articles about human rights violations all over the world, okay. in this country, but beyond. Um, and those students select one of the articles as the starting place for a play that they individually write that then is performed by our professional company at the end. And 100% of them, I would say, are writing about an issue or or, or social justice question that they've never engaged with before. And many of them have gone on to become activists in those areas, you know, where they're leading yeah. school-wide uh, fundraisers on that topic. Uh, or they will tell me when they're in college that they are led a, opened up a club about it, you know, and that they become, or they engage in a protest over it. So that's very exciting. Not all of them, but their awareness is that first step. Just knowing about it is one thing. And then activism and and, and becoming a change maker becomes another thing. There's a temptation sometimes to say, these teens are apathetic. And of course, yeah. all you have to do is work with or talk with students. Actual to know that teens. That, actual yeah. teens to know that that is not the case. No. But what is often the case is that students can feel that politics is just immense and yes. complicated and immensely complicated. And they feel that way because 
It is. It is. But if they pick an issue, you know, I mean, this is the way that it was for me. I got fired up about, like, capital punishment when right. I was in fifth grade. And I joined, mm. like, you know, New York didn't have a death penalty at that time. Right. Um, so I had to join the, so I chose to join the Colorado Coalition to abolish the death right. penalty where my you know, father was. And I, you know, found out about that. But then, you know, I then that led me to be thinking about, you know, the, the racial inequality of it and the economic inequality mm. of it. And I began to learn about these other things because right. they're all connected you know, to this issue. Absolutely. So a kid who gets fired up about dolphins or, you know, whales or the influence of pharmaceutical yeah, companies. For me, it was baby but seals, by the way. Um, was that was my baby heart seals, seals when seals. I was in fifth grade, yeah. And, but then but then uh, high school, didn't you also do a little environmental Oh, yeah, act sure, sure. I moved on into, moved I, on, yeah, I started yeah. the environmental mm -hmm. club, mm -hmm. you're welcome, at yes. Westfield High School. Yeah, God bless you. And uh, it wasn't received well. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. uh, warmly welcomed were we by to, my community. You were, you were trying to recycle in the I, 80s? Is I made a handmade, doing? in the 80s, I made a handmade sign and I screamed at several people who threw their lunch in the recyclable can only that I, uh -huh. I made a very clear sign. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. super clear. Yeah. But they, a lot of the. the that you then stood Yeah, and next I said, to. you know what? <laughs> I would scream at them and say, you know what? I have to pick through this because I personally took the cans to the recycling center in my car and I was like, I have to pick through your lunch because they want just cans. They don't yeah. want, you know, the mashed potatoes or whatever it is yeah. that you threw in there. They didn't like it when I yelled at them. As you know, much to, I'm sure you're surprised to hear this, but Glad I'm sitting I wasn't down. very yeah. popular yeah. in high school. Right. So um, <laughs> I wasn't the most popular kid ever, uh, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm over it now. Uh, so, partially anyway, uh, and then uh, yes, they. I think that students get very interested. I think that as long as it intersects with their lives, at least at the beginning, at the moment in which they get engaged with social justice questions, that it's great to begin with something that directly intersects with them and their community and their lives. So, issues around immigration, issues around uh, um, health, issues around education, around gender and LGBTQ questions uh, really seem to to particularly engage students because they are connected. When, when our students in the 10th grade project write their human rights play, I spend a, a whole session on their, their personal artistic statement where they write a statement of purpose of why they're writing the play and what's personal about the play for them and they share it and we sit in a circle and they each share their artistic statement of purpose. It was an experiment a few years ago and it turns out to be the most important day for the students when they reflect back mm -hmm. on their process other than the, the final day when the actors come in and perform the their sure. plays for sure, them sure. which is yeah. mind-blowing and yeah. awesome. Uh, but they they say, you know, my mother went through this thing, or uh, my, my neighbor went through this thing, or I went through this thing that is connected, and, and I'm empathizing with this issue, and here's why I care about it. And it really drives their process. I think it's so important for students to have some choice. You know, I come in with, with, with ideas, but students need to have agency and choose what they write about, too, and they're often given testing and uh, other things that are, the doors are closed and there aren't any options and they have to learn this set of vocabulary and they have to learn this set of facts and they're asked to regurgitate those 
those words and facts back to their teacher and back to the state. One of the truisms about our segregated U.S. education system is that kids in rich schools get to think about ideas, while kids in underfunded schools get to worry about skills they must master before the next high-stakes standardized test. One of the best things about EPIC is that they do not accept this aspect of the status quo. Indeed, they challenge it every day. We don't what, have expectations so what, that students are going to be right. theater professional theater makers necessarily. We want them to be leaders, whether it's in the arts or, or otherwise, and, and, and caring citizens that, that engage in social justice. Uh, that's what we, we hope for with our Epic Next Youth Company. And part of how they prepare to do that is through these touring educational pieces that are making actual impact on right, stakeholders okay. and, and decision makers who, who are listening to our young people about these critical questions and then making decisions about what they're uh -huh. going to do. What is the purpose of school? For me, I think school is more than just about education. I think it's the first step in teaching people how to connect with each other beyond culture, beyond class, beyond race. School should be used as a tool to be able to rise above your income if you're someone who comes from a family of low income. School should be a driver of success. I'm speaking now, speaking now, I won't back down, back down. Nobody's gonna push me around, knock me off my feet. I don't care if you don't believe in me. This is my story, my journey, I'm worthy. I'm gonna make you see. Before some closing thoughts from Melissa, let me note that Time's Up is a song written and performed by Epic students Joanne, Sierra, Cassandra, and Shamia for the epic remix of Shakespeare's Measure for Measure, which they set in the context of the Me Too movement. Inspired by the women who stepped up to expose Harvey Weinstein, they created their own anthem. This idea of, of education and arts education being something that's siloed and separate and departmental is something that we've challenged, and I wish I saw more of it out in the world, that theater companies and um, schools have these you know, drama departments that are separate. And what's, what's interesting to me is the integration of theater into the fabric of an organization, or the inter integration of education into the fabric of, of a theater. So young people are at the heart of what we do, but we're a professional theater company. We make professional theater. These are not unreconcilable. They are, they are, it's a holistic approach. And it's so common for professional theater companies to talk about their depart, their professional work and their education work in a separate uh, breath. Now they have their students come see their work, yes, but in terms of like who is on staff, and who is making the work, these are, they're, they're separated. And for us, it's, it's all one, that the artists who work on our professional stages are in the classroom are our mentors. And, um, and I think that's been really meaningful and import, important. And for students to want to go see theater, and we have a lot of students who go and see theater. We are helpful in diversifying the audience of the American theater. Uh, so, um, in order for that to happen, they have to be at the center of an organization. They can't be on the margins. 
because the students we work with spend a lot of time in the margins. So like, let's not place them in the margins of a theatrical organization. I spent a lot of years as a teaching artist in organizations that did that, that are wonderful organizations in terms of their theater making practice, but I would love to see much more integration and holistic approach overall. My guess is that you might be interested in checking out an epic performance or two yourself. Well, if you're in the greater New York City area or planning a trip in the coming weeks, here are a few coming attractions. In terms of what we have coming up with that people can engage with and see as we have sure. their Youth Theater Festival, mm-hmm. which is going to be running March 5th through 23rd at, at the Acorn Theater at Theater Row, and we have three events at that uh, over the course of three weeks. You can see the educational touring pieces, Nothing About Us or Overdrive, which are both incredible, extraordinary pieces of work written and devised and performed by our youth company. You can see the uh, remix that is being devised and, and created in the Bronx on Julius Caesar or this remix of Macbeth set in the pharmaceutical industry in a fictional Latin American country coming up in March. And so those events are all free and it's one of the things that I think is really exciting is when we have a mix of audience that are family members and also theater going members and also members of the education community as well, all in the audience. Some people know the people on stage and some people don't know the people on stage. Uh And that's important for our students to have a platform to speak to people who don't know them. So having people attend that would be wonderful. Um, And uh, yeah. And they can find information about all the, from the Epic website, website, yes, and our social media. Which will be linked to the show page. We have the Instagram and and all of the things. We'll put the Insta. The Insta Uh, and the Facebook and the Twitter. That's it for today's show. If you've missed March 2019 by the time you're hearing this, just check out the Epic Theater Ensemble website linked on this episode's show page for upcoming Epic attractions. Thanks so much to Melissa Friedman for taking the time to talk and to all the talented visionary folk at Epic for the amazing work they do. The play Laundry City was written by Olivia Dunbar, the candy Randy Figueroa, Jeremiah Green Jr., Melissa Iero, and Davion Osborne. The performance we heard featured Olivia Dunbar, Jeremiah Green Jr., Salma Hassan, Davion Osborne, and Nikia Smalls. For more about the ancient relationship between drama and democracy, check out my conversation with Oscar Eustace, episode 11. Thanks as always to Schaefer James for theme music, And thanks to you for listening and recommending Point of Learning to anyone you know curious about what and how and why we learn. Next stop, Cuba. And at your school we did because you were in Jersey, so we couldn't come every day, right? You know, literally Um, pointing. I'm pointing at me. The video. Sorry, Jersey brings out the pointy pointy in me. Um, So uh, I don't know what that means. Cut it. Cut it. Edit it out. It's in post. Yeah. Cut.